Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. I'm very interested in this uh, new book uh, done by Adrian Woolridge and uh, Alan Greenspan. Uh, it's entitled Capitalism in America, a History. Uh, I wonder if it's also a, requ- a requiem in these days, which is why I'm interested to learn more about the uh, angle of incidents that the authors took. Adrian Woolridge is a political editor for The Economist. Of course, Alan Greenspan, uh, most uh, known to be well, the Fed chairman. Right. Um, and a back in his day. But that's, in time for, that's a story for another time. For more on the book at hand, we're pleased to be joined by Adrian Woolridge, political editor for The Economist. The book, Capitalism in America, a History, uh, done in conjunction with former Fed Chairman Alan Greenspan. Adrian, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Thank you for inviting me. So, uh, you know, it could, couldn't be more timely with this debate of capitalism versus socialism going on in America at present or what 21st century ca- capitalism even looks like. Uh, and so uh, it seems like your historical perspective may help people to uh, reconsider the bases on which this country was founded in terms of its economic system. Absolutely. What we do in this book is to ask ourselves the question, why did America become the world's most powerful economy, the world's most powerful capitalist economy? And our answer is that America has a greater appetite for creative destruction than any other country in the world. It's happier with the sort of churn, the creation, the destruction, which is the essence of capitalism. But then when we come to the modern period, we say, well, wait a minute, perhaps America is losing this this appetite for creative destruction. Perhaps it's becoming a bit more like any other regular nation, a bit more like a regular European nation. So our conclusion is, um, you know, uh, a little bit pessimistic about the future of America. Really, it's interesting because, I mean, for example, I mean, one could argue uh, uh, that protectionism is an expression of uh, not having an appetite for the creative gales of destruction that Schumpeter talked about. But... um, uh, but, but but this is not our first dalliance with protectionism or tariffs uh, in America's history, and we've always sort of reverted back to uh, being a, a country of free minds or freer minds and freer markets than our European allies. Yeah, I mean, America has, in many ways, America has always had tariffs because from the earliest days, tariffs were the only way in which the country could really raise taxes. It didn't have any other source of income, so it raised uh, income through taxes through through tariffs. But those tariffs were were not used as a sort of strategic industrial policy. They were just revenue-raising things. And the most important thing about America for most of its history was that it was a single internal market. Um, Trade within the United States didn't have any tariffs at all, whereas obviously trade in lots of other big countries like India had lots of internal tariffs. So it's really a story of of free markets um, within the United States, which is where most of the business is done, right up until the 1930s when you get things like Smoot-Hawley, when they really do begin to have tariffs as a serious sort of economic weapon. And I think those tariffs are extremely deleterious to America's overall economic performance. Well, that said, then, how do you feel about President Trump's tariffs on Chinese goods? Well, I think tariffs are always a mistake. They always make everybody uh, poorer, not just the Chinese poorer, but the Americans poorer as well. I mean, I think they've been, uh, the Chinese have been extremely opportunistic in the way that they've um, uh, behaved over trade. 
uh, and they need to be reprimanded for that. But I think to get into a tariff war is extremely dangerous. You know, the world economy now has an enormous number of similarities with the world economy in the 1930s, both in terms of the worship of dictators, in terms of the use of tariffs as, as, as bargaining tools, in terms of uh, levels of populist anger that, that are rising. And we know that the 1930s didn't exactly end up very well. Yeah, I, I, I go back. I mean, I agree with you about tariffs, and we have this discussion a lot these days, but I go back to uh, Milton Friedman paraphrasing Henry George when he said that in time of war, we blockade our enemies in order to prevent them from getting goods from us. In times of peace, we do it to ourselves by tariffs, what we do to yeah, our enemy exactly. in the time of war, and it just doesn't make any sense. But, yeah. uh, but, but despite the tariffs, uh, and uh, whatever, if Larry Kudlow's right, and this gets us to ultimately a lower tariff environment, I hope so, I don't know, but I hope so. What, what about uh, still uh, the U.S. being the, really the lead innovator in the world in the digital age, and is that something that uh, acts as a bulwark against some of your pessimism? Absolutely. I mean, what, one of the big focuses of this book is the period from 1860 to, to, to 1900, roughly, when America really establishes itself as the world's leading economic power. And it does so because you've got people like Carnegie, people like Rockefeller, um, giants of business setting up huge, highly efficient, highly successful corporations such as Carnegie Steel, such as Standard Oil. Uh, and America really takes the lead in one business after another. And then, of course, you get Henry Ford and people like that. And what you're seeing now in the United States is exactly the same thing happening with the new tech titans, you know, who are taking the role of these, these, these robber barons. People like uh, Zuckerberg, people, people like Jeff Bezos, people like uh, Gates, and many, many more. America does have a genius for producing entrepreneurs who sense what the next big thing is and then construct giant organizations which can, which can deliver that big, thing, that big thing. So America's entrepreneurial genius hasn't faded. In fact, America's lead now in, in things, let's say, like, like, like online shopping uh, and like uh, the processing of information is, is, is as big as its lead was in, in steel and oil in the, in, the, in the 19th century. What America's problems are are problems of bad policymaking, not problems of, of, of business fading uh, uh, of entrepreneurial genius fading. So, since you collaborate with Greenspan on this book, I wonder if there's any treatment of monetary policy and policy making in that space in the book. Well, what we argue, uh, we, we, have, we have a lot of space devoted to the financial crisis, obviously. And what we argue is that we've taken the wrong solution to the financial crisis. In some senses, financial crises are endemic to capitalism, but you, know, you have to limit them as much as you possibly can. And we argue that the Dodd-Frank way of, uh, of limiting them by having highly, very complicated uh, forms of regulation is not the best way of doing so. What you need to do is to force all banks to have much more equity, hold back much more e equity, to have a sort of backstop of equity, um, which is much bigger than they have done. They had two, two thin capital buffers, and because of that, they were all in danger of going bankrupt, and the, and the state had to step in, creating a terrible you know, dilemma of rewarding failure. And if banks were forced to keep much more of their uh, money back uh, as a sort of backstop, we would get around that, that policy. He is Adrian Woolridge. I'm sorry. He's Adrian Woolridge, political editor for The Economist. The book, Capitalism in America, a history that he did with Alan Greenspan. Adrian, thanks for joining us. Good luck with the book.
Thank you very much. And he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. Connect with Dan and Amy on the AM560 The Answer mobile app. Just text the word app to 64636 to download the app today. The following is